Today we're going to talk about the gates of hell. Okay, the gates of hell, and uh, what that refers to, why why it's in the Bible, what it means for us, what what you know, what do you do about it, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, to get a, a grasp of uh, all the provision that God has made for us to uh, be as successful as we like. If there's still some ladies back there, just ask them to come in. Whatever they're doing, they can finish up. I don't think there's much uh, much left to do. So if they'll come in, because I think this is one of those teachings. Well, they all are, but you, you know, if you could get it live, it's probably better. So they've had uh, one they can listen to this morning's, but if they can get in here, it'd be better for them. So praise God. Amen. All right, so... <clears throat> Um, what I what, what this is taken from one of our prayers in the manual talks about the city church and what that means is that there is a um, call of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to occupy cities, Amen. not only cities but regions, nations, etc., etc. But before you can take a nation, of course, you need to understand how to take a city. And one of the things that we know is that there is a, a uh, prophecy in the Bible, Matthew 16:18, talks about the revelation uh, that, that uh, God the Father gave to Peter. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? We, we all know that scripture fairly well it's in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 <clears throat> let me see or is it 1816 is it oh I'm in the wrong book Matthew Mm-hmm. When the preacher gets it, we'll all say amen. 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 <clears throat> so uh, Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples and he's talking about the signs of the times and uh, bringing them down to the time where he has to be crucified. And so it's very important that he complete his ministry and, and that people really understand who he is, what his mission was. Of course, it got clearer to them after his death. It's amazing how after you're gone, people start to recognize who you were, man. But anyway, he says, uh, he said, who do you say, verse 15, 13, who do men say, I, the son of man, am? And he said, some say you're John the Baptist. So, that there was not a lot of understanding of Jesus' true identity, and I think because they didn't study the Word. I mean, it's right here in the Bible. We can see it real clearly when you read the Old Testament and, and come up to the New. You can see it pretty clearly. Uh, Jesus fulfilled everything that was said about the Messiah. He said, but who do you say that I am? So here we're talking about a general understanding of who Jesus is versus a personal one. Doesn't matter what other people say, it's about what you 
We have to have this personal revelation of God. Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. This isn't something you got from looking at what I do only. You got this by looking and studying and going to God the Father and questioning who I am. That's how you get revelation from God. You may start with what you see in the natural, but the definitive answer comes from God himself when he speaks to you about what you say you see. You've got to be that way. So he says, flesh and blood is not revealed it but my father which is in heaven and i say unto you that you are peter and upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it well what he's talking about the rock that he's talking about building his church on this is a symbolic uh building a rock means uh, something sturdy uh, something uh secluded something protected something strong So Jesus said, I'll build my church on this revelation from the Father of who I am. So you can't come, in other words, you can't be saved unless God the Father invites you. You know, we can go to people and say the sinner's prayer all we want to, but the the true, true invitation to Christ comes from the Father who is revealing the Son to a person who needs to have a revelation of him. Really, all it takes is prayer. God will save anybody that you pray for. He will. But it, there is a process whereby those who belong to the Lord are accepted into God's family. This isn't like some gang where you go up and beat somebody and they let you in. This is a, really, this is a covenant that is so similar to a marriage, it'll blow your mind if you really start thinking about it. Think about what God, uh, you know, intended for marriage. The father goes out and finds a suitable bride for the son and introduces him, introduces us to his son to have and to hold for eternity this is how this is what he's saying here and so the father has to reveal the son as you're intended to you and this is what had happened to peter that's why this is a an everlasting covenant because you've met all the rules and so jesus said the church that is strong and the gates of hell won't prevail against it is the legitimate bride of Christ. Not some religion. I'm Catholic. I'm Baptist. I'm, it, it ain't about that. This is, this is personal. Do you know him personally? Has the Father revealed the Son and you accepted the Son on his terms? So it has to be a personal revelation of Christ as Savior. Not just somebody you know. Or just some historical Jesus who was a prophet and a great man and a great speaker and all these generic things. That's who men say that he is. But who do you say that he is? What what if have you searched in your heart to understand who Jesus really is? 
And so it's the ones that have the personal relationship, the bride, the beloved of God, the saints of the Most High God. It's those people that the gates of hell will not prevail against. So you know there's a cutoff right there. You see people getting beat up by the devil, getting robbed blind, you know, discouraged, disgusted, walk away from church, don't go back anymore. They have not had this personal revelation because the gates of hell withstood them and prevailed against them. Huh? It's all personal, folks. You don't have a personal up front with Jesus and you know that you know that you know who he is. Huh? You know, I stayed with my husband for 29 years because I knew he was my husband. It wasn't somebody. I wasn't looking. Yeah, I had no fear some other woman was going to come to the door and say, well, you know, some of them brothers, you know, they make you a little nervous sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> you mention somebody's name real fast and they look at you. You know what I'm saying? But it wasn't like any fear there. So I could tell anybody, I'm the only one hit the road. You know, you're looking for, the, he don't have no double life. Because huh? I'm his shadow. <laughs> in the throne room and in the natural if I need to. Check that odometer in a minute. The gates of hell will not prevail. (laughs) You know, you do what you got to do to protect what's yours. But see, if you know who you are, you know what belongs to you, you'll fight for it. Uh, You won't just let the devil come and take it from you. And it's covenant rights that make us fight. It's not mere faith. There are a lot of people out here with faith that can move all kind of mountains and scared of the devil. That's true. They'll confess to their tongue is blue. They can get their bills paid. They can do all kind of things as long as they can work around the devil. But when it comes to opposing him and confronting him, they don't want any parts. You got me? There's something wrong with their identity then. They don't... They don't really know who they are. You know, they don't really know who they are. You know, if I were to ever find anything in my husband's car that was feminine, it's mine. It's mine. Huh? It's mine. You bought this? Thank you. Now take it back and get my size and come back with it. The gates of hell will not prevail. I like that little Howard. Where is he anyway? Huh? It's all up in Mrs. Addie's grill. Do you mouth it up? Hey, my wife don't do it. I tell her to write. Where is she? His make-believe wife. (laughs) Whee! 
She gonna frisk him and take all his money and his gold out his grill, and he gonna say, "Ha ha ha! Got all my money!" Uh, he took all my money. Uh. Be so happy about it. Praise the Lord. But it's in covenant relationship that the bride is established in her authority. Because what was the next thing he said? I give. Hey! That's all the brother got to tell me. I got keys. I said, oh, they must be for me. Give them up. The house, the car, the boat, the, you know, deposit by whatever. I don't care what the skeleton key for the basement cellar. I got them all. Huh? And you're to use them. So that the gates of hell do not prevail. Because you're defending something that you know you're entitled to. This belongs to you. You're a joint heir with him. You're heirs together of all the things that life has for you. Huh? You know who you are. Not afraid of somebody coming and telling you you can't have something. Huh? I'm Mrs. Jesus. Huh? I know I can have that. Are you kidding me? I've no doubt. Jump the broom, ring, no ring, whatever. The Father has revealed him to me as mine. Huh? And it's on that authority that the gates of hell do not prevail against the church. Hey? So you know who you are. It's that kind of strong authority. Yeah, I don't understand people with these wishy-washy marriages and all this kind of nonsense, you know. You know, I mean, you know, women, you know, they, they let sometimes let men get off too easily. You know, I'll support you in your dream, your vision, your hopes, whatever you want for life. I'm your partner here. And in exchange, <laughs> you take care of the girl. You take care of your partner. Huh? You take care of your partner. You know, I mean, it's not fashionable, but it's Bible. Do you take care of Jesus or does he take care of you? Uh, That was real weak. (laughs) He said, does he take care of him? Uh See, God put that in you and nobody can move it out. Does he love you? Yes. With an everlasting love. Do you love him back? Yes, I obey his commandments. See, that's where the whole thing falls down. Because when you talk to women nowadays about obeying. Hit another nerve. Huh? What does it cost you to obey somebody? But what you get in return is priceless. You get covenant rights in return. You get the keys in return. You have easy access to everything in return. Huh? You have no problems with anything in return. You need to get smart, folks. Instead of being so hard-headed and carnal. I take care of myself. The voice of seven women calling to one man saying, 
We will eat our own food, wear our own apparel. I don't want a marriage in name only. I don't just want somebody's name. I want their inheritance. I want... Don't give me the fake stuff. Give me the real stuff. Yeah. I want to be so tied up if that brother thought about leaving. He thinks real <laughs> Still counting the cost, you know. So, yeah. Just like it for Jesus, what would it cost him to walk away from us? His life all over again. I ain't going to do that. He did it once already. So. Now, don't nobody go pull no gun on that. Come on now. Y'all loosen up, lighten up here. Ain't no license to pull no gun on your husband. Hmm? Cancel, cancel, cancel. Huh? <laughs> Ever since Pam retired, everybody had a nice to miss Pam now. I wonder what she's doing with that gun. She, oh, nobody worried. Why well, don't be worried about where her gun is? Hmm? Uh, praise the Lord. All right, so you know who you are. Your authority is based on your identity more than it is on anything you know about the word. You've got to know who you are. You're a legitimate bride of Christ. You're either legitimate or you're not. If you're not, go back and check your papers. Huh? Go back and check. And see if you don't have a revelation of him that comes from God the Father. Part of what hell does is to try and steal the true identity from the true bride. So it, it is possible to have a legitimate claim to all these things in Christ and not avail yourself of them because of the success that the enemy has had thus far against you. But you don't have to remain there. Amen. Gates of hell will not prevail. They might oppose, but if you oppose back, you'll win. You might have to oppose back many times, but you'll win. So I'm going to read you a little something from uh, this book, Manners and Customs, a Bible lands. It talks about the layout of the oriental town or city. Um, <clears throat> when it talks about oriental, it means the east, Middle East, Far East. This is how life is there, desert places. It says the difference between a city, a village, and as to walls in the early Old Testament Times and villages were smaller places of a boat without walls around them, whereas cities or towns were larger that has walls around them. The Mosaic law made such a distinction if a man sell a dwelling house in a walled city or but the houses of the villages which have no walls about them. So we know there's a difference between a city and a village. Villages were often located near a fortified city upon which they more or less were dependent. So you could have a fortified city and behind it villages where people could kind of live a rural life a little more spread out, but they depended upon the fortification of that city for their security. He says, thus the city was, was the, uh, it says the villages were often located near fortified city, thus the city 
was the metropolis of the villages. We often read in the Bible of cities and their villages, and sometimes a literal translation can give us the expression cities and their daughters, villages being the daughters of the city. Walls are a part of city fortifications. In Bible times, most cities were walled and fortified for protection against the enemy. Those living in a city without walls would be interested in having walls built for them. Often when the Bible says a certain character built a city, what is meant is not that a new site was located and a new city was built, but rather that a city already inhabited was supplied with walls entirely around its confines. It was thus that Solomon built Betharon, the upper, and Betharon, the nether, fenced cities with walls, gates, and bars. Characters of gates, so this is what we're going to talk about today. The gates of an oriental city were, of course, connected with the walls. So <clears throat> what you had was a, uh, a total a wall that was built in one piece, and they would carve out a little gate you know, in that city for entry in and out. It had to be controlled. That's why the whole thing was not open. You had a, a gate of a certain size, which meant that they only wanted certain size things coming in. You see where, uh, and they weren't very tall either. They, You see where if camels were heavily laden, they had to come down on their knees even to get through the gate of a city because it couldn't even carry a, a camel that was stacked high with burdens. And so it was very often that the gates were, were controlled because they did not want easy access in or out. They're usually made of wood or stone or wood that had been armored with metal. The psalmist speaks of gates of brass, copper, and gates of iron. Often they were two-leaved <clears throat> gates and were provided with heavy locks and bars. Sometimes a city or town had two walls and therefore two gates with a space between them. So you had a, a wall around, then an inner wall inside of that, and there were gates front and back going. So you had to stop in between the walls to get over into the next level to get into the gates. Now that space in between is very important. It says <clears throat> a sentinel was stationed in the tower of the first gate. So the outer gate had a, a uh, watchman up there in that gate. It says, when David was at Manahem awaiting the result of the battle with Absalom, Scripture says, and David sat between the two gates, not between the doors, but two gates. So there was an outer gate of a city and an inner gate of a city. And the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. This space between the gates was used for many purposes. Number one, the gateway was a meeting place. The gateways of ancient wall cities and open spaces near them were popular meeting places for the people. So there was some entry into the gates of the city that was, I would say, more or less friendly, not hostile. The watchman watched to see who was approaching, so their first line of defense was the eyesight of the watchman on the tower. He could tell if there was a lone person. He could tell if it was a foreigner. He could tell if it was a troop of people. He could tell if it was an army approaching. He could see everything, and he would send down a warning, and the gates would be shut, or they were left open. 
So when they were being threatened with any kind of attack or hostility, the gates were open. But if they were, I mean closed, but if they were left open, it was a gathering place and a meeting place for people. It says they seemed like large halls that could care for great assemblies of people. Being vaulted, they provided a cool place to meet on a hot day. So if it were you were in the desert and you had a, a 40 foot wall on the front, and maybe a 30-foot wall on the back, there was shade in between those two walls. And people would go in there and talk and converse and conduct business, the different types of business we'll talk about. Variety of uses for gates. The city gates had many uses. The opening of the gates are described by Proverbs as the chief place of concourse. Concourse has to do with gathering conversing, not conducting formal business, but this is an informal chat space. You know, like you just see who's hanging out at the gate and go talk to them about what's new with them. It could be things of a personal nature. It could be things of a not-so-personal nature. But concourse does have to do with human discussion, the free flow of human discussion. People coming freely in and out. So if you were sitting, say, for instance, uh, Chuck was just coming into the gates of the city after shopping somewhere and, and Nola found her there and they would just stop and chat, talk about whatever. You know, it was a, it's a gathering place for people who were interested in connecting with one another. Um, the city gate was used as a public gathering place for the giving of an address or a proclamation. So that would be a hear ye, hear ye place, that little space in between. Concerning King Hezekiah, it was said, and he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of a city and spoke comfortably to them. So it was a place where you could conduct a meeting or call a meeting. You can call a gathering of all the people of the city or all the available adults of the city, all the men of the city, all the whatever you needed to do to meet and, and make official proclamations to people. David speaks of his persecutors gossiping about him in the city gates. So you see there's not just good concourse, but there's also negative concourse. And that's the thing we're going to be most concerned about, the gossip, the buzz, and the negative concourse that the gates of hell perpetrate against the church. Mordecai sat in the king's gate in order to attract attention from the, for, from the sovereign. The prophets often preached their sermons in the gates of a city. You know, the apostle Paul, when he went to different cities, say for instance in, in Ephesus where there was witchcraft and they were, you know, all hail Diana, you know, the most high goddess and so forth and so on. He just went to the gates of the city and began to preach. It's a very common thing. Thus the Lord told Jeremiah, go and stand in the gate of the children of the people whereby the kings of Judah come in and by the which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem. So God uses gates for his word to be proclaimed as well. Amen. The city gates, <clears throat> a place for holding court. One of the most important uses of the ancient city was for holding court. Uh, so this is your basic Judge Judy, 
uh, you know, whoever the, what is a divorce court or whoever the people are, this is where that was taking place. That was a, the courthouse. Stone seats were provided for the judges. I think that's kind of appropriate. They didn't deliberate long. But also it represented the authority, the rock-solid authority, the unwavering authority. Amen. And so <clears throat> whether it was a government that wasn't a God government or it was a God government was set in stone, so to speak. And he says, uh, it says also that Lot sat in the gate as a judge, Genesis 19. So Lot was a judge in the city where he lived. The city gates of those days would be like our modern courthouse. It was there that Boaz went to redeem the estate of Elimelech and thus receive Ruth to be his wife. The prophet Amos preached to Israel to establish judgment in the gate. The Mosaic law recognized the city gates as a place of justice. Judges and officers shall you make shall you make thee in all your gates which the Lord your God gives you throughout your tribes and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thus it can be seen that one of the most important places in an ancient city was the gates of that city. So it's very important for a number of reasons. Symbolic references to the city gates. The Bible often refers to the gates of a city in a symbolic way. Sometimes the gates are used to represent the city as a whole, as when the Lord said to Abraham, Your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. In other words, your your seed will be will possess the power of their enemies. When you talk about gates, you talk about power. Your judicial power, declaration power, judgmental power, power to control the what's spoken what's said what's not said all of that is part of the gates so he said when you control that that's what you'll control and he says the psalmist was no doubt thinking of the temple gates when he said open to me the gates of righteousness it is customary for the city gates to be closed at sunset and John alludes to this by way of a contrast in his description of the new Jerusalem in Revelations 21:25. You know, it says the gate shall not be closed day or night uh, for God, for God's people, the new Jerusalem. The gates will be open both day and night. In other words, it'll be a good time to go in and get saved. Righteousness will be rampant and flowing, uh, you know, all of the time. There won't be a good time and a bad time to get saved, in other words. <clears throat> Tower cities also had towers. I'll just read this last part. The Oriental city has had two types of towers located in it. First was the tower constructed as part of the city wall. So say, for instance, if they decide to put a tower in each corner, it was just carved out of the wall. So the wall, say the wall was 20 feet high, the tower continued up, say, another 15 or another 20 feet for the vantage point for the view. And so it was it was a part of the wall, part of the wall of the city. So it's like this. If you're a watchman, you cannot be watching unless you're giving authority to do something. You're the vision and you're the fighter. If you're the wall, you're the protector. And if you're the seer, you can see how to protect, but you've got to be able to carry out protection, too. 
Now, remember when we studied the lighthouse <laughs> many years ago? They say, huh, I think I remember her talking about I'll refresh you. Remember when we studied the lighthouse, that the watchman in the lighthouse could only give signals. He was never allowed to go out and engage in rescue. Because if he lost his life, who was there? Amen? So we're not like that. We are, we are watchmen in that we are able to observe and see what the problem is and we execute and carry out. You're part of the wall as well as the tower. Said at this point the wall was built higher and served as a fortification. The approach of an enemy could be sighted from here and weapons hurled down upon men who attempted to take the city. So the watchman was a fighter as well. Almost every gate of any consequence would have a tower over it. You must have a tower over a gate. You don't just have a way to get in without protecting it. It says, then towers were often built where the wall turned a corner. These were called corner towers. King Uzziah made use of such towers, and he made in Jerusalem engines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and upon the battlements or corner towers, to shoot arrows and great stones withal. Second was a citadel tower, or fortress, which was built apart from the wall. So, really, the watchman has two vantage points. There's a watchman who is a fighter that is on the wall, that has his tower is a part of the wall, and he is a part of the battle, but then there's a greater watchman whose, whose fortress is apart from that. Wonder who that one is. Amen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives the orders. He stands at a higher vantage point for the church. This is why the gates of hell will not prevail against the true church. Because we're doubly protected. We're not just praying prayers here. Some some goofy housewife thought up, you know, because she was bored in the daytime and, and didn't want to stay at home. These things come from, from the, the mind of God, from the spirit of God. So that Jesus has ordained that we pray this way. Mm-hmm. It's so simple, most people get mad at it. And we have people come in here, they just look at the mail, oh, that's pretty good, but I want to pray this way. Well, they don't stay very long, because we've been doing this 30 years close to now, and it's never changed, you see. Because devils don't change. I get news for you. It's the same devil he's always been. Same princes of all these different, they change a little bit, but it's the same devils behind them. You got me? They just change a little bit. Change of flavor to try and confound the the unwise. <clears throat> so there was a second citadel tower fortress which was built apart from the wall on a higher ground than the rest of the city and thus served to defend the city. The tower Shechem referred to in the story of Abimelech was d- doubtless this type of a tower. So you have a chief watchman who stands in a higher tower who is able to send signals, get information over to the ones in the city who will fight on the behalf of preserving the city. 
So when we were talking about the gates, though, I want us to focus on what that is because there is power here to confound the strongholds of the enemy and power to confound the gates of hell. So we said that the gates really part of the the gates really should be thought of not as as physical structures or either representations of physical structures, but gates are a set of activities. So if you can think of gates as a set of activities, this makes more sense to you. Because if I tell you the gates of hell, the first thing you might want to know is where they're located. And how do we fight them? And when we get to the gates, and when we get to the gates, and when we get to the gates, we'll sing a song and dance some more. And Now y'all know I was going to snatch that one from you. Come on now. You can play Ring Around the Rosie if you want to. But the devil will knock your two front teeth out, your eyes out, and murder your children. So if you can think of gates as activities and not a physical place, we'll get along just fine. When when you talk to a person living in one of these places about the gates, they didn't think about physical bars. They thought about what they did at the gates. So these are the devices of hell. The gates of hell refer to the devices of hell and the weapons of hell against the believer or against the church. So the gates are a series of activities designed to destroy the believer, to stop the church, and to render us powerless against. So your first line of defense really is your identity. You get to know who you are and whose side you're on. Whose you am and whom you serve. And that's always got to be clear. And that can never get blurred. That can never be up for grabs. That can never be up for discussion. And that cannot change throughout your walk. You're always the bride of Christ. You're always a son or daughter of the Most High God. You're always married to the Lord. You're always given fully over to the Lord. You're never to give yourself over to the works of darkness. Period. Period. So your identity must be intact. Your identity must be secure. You have to be satisfied and secure in your identity. Now I'll tell you what what causes some people to give in to the enemy or or is they're not secure in there you who you are has got to be enough for you you got me it's got to be enough for you you can't aspire to uh, well i'm called as a prophet but i see myself one day in front of this well that's fine but you got to be secure in your call where you are right now you got to love reading the word. you got to love worshiping God just in your room just by yourself. Forget the crowds that you'll stand in front of one day. Huh? Your identity is not in numbers of people that you serve. Your identity is in who he calls you. How does he look at you? You think Jesus is really impressed with these pastors who have 30,000 people in the church? 
You think he'll help them any more than he'll help me or you? You think he loves them any more? He'd have to get the glory for anything that they do, so why is he impressed with them? The Bible says when, when we get to heaven, we'll throw our crowns at his feet. So he had the biggest crown in the whole place. So let us not get this twisted, folks, in, in picking up man's standard as something that God respects. That's not true. That's not true. We're all called to do a certain work at a certain level for, for the same God. You know, if I'm called to, to teach people how to pray and, and we only get a certain number of people. Well, I've been faithful teaching people how to pray. Whoever came, we taught them how to pray and we prayed. Huh? You know, some others may be, may be called to have an, an auditorium filled with people. You got me? But let them be faithful to what they're called to and me be faithful. But I gotta be satisfied. You, who you are has got to be okay with you. Huh? You gotta be okay with who you are. And that's very, very important. And I'm not saying that you don't want to be better at what you do, but let the bettering come from God. You let God decide what's better for you. And it don't always resort in numbers and, and, and money, amounts of money that you have that you need to run things. It's not always that. Or how many books you sell or whatever. You know, people get judged on their fruit. Them books better be accurate. If you're selling 50, 50, you got 50 titles out there, 50 titles better be accurate because you get judged on the accuracy of them by God, not how many you sell. And so we have to be careful. Who you are has got to be okay with you. You've got to be secure and satisfied in your identity. What God calls you to has got to be enough for you. You can't run around trying to be more than what God called you to be. Huh? You'll run into some problems. Hmm? You'll run into problems. Number one, if you don't know who you are and you don't like who you are, guess who's going to be able to blindside you? Huh? They say a lot of times young kids, because they're neglected by parents, either emotionally or in the natural, it passed off from grandparent to step-parent to one to the other to the other, oftentimes they will fall victim to anybody who seems to show them some care and some affection. You don't think the devil's planned this? He plans it through freedom. You know, it used to be, you know, if you got pregnant out of wedlock, you put your head down, you went somewhere, had that baby, and you gave a childless couple a chance to be parents. Well, you can't make something that's wrong totally right. But you can correct it some. You got me? It's never going to be wonderful. But I can tell you in many cases it's better than where most of these children wind up. Hmm? You don't get God on the scene and really love him and speak that word to your children and make sure they respect God, love God, obey God. It's a big job, folks. It's a big job. 
Redemption is the only answer for problems like that. But you read every day where kids are, are, you know, well, the parents, you know, I had her when I was really young and I had to give her to my parents and she didn't obey them. They brought her back to me and I sent her back to them and then she wound up floating in a river somewhere. You got me? So sacrifices to Satan because he pushes people into things because they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. It's all, it's all the problem. They don't know who they are. They don't know that God. You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, my, my mother wasn't married and they weren't married. And so I guess, well, no, you fight that thing. You fight that thing. You get truth in you and you fight that thing. You don't succumb to the family nonsense. You didn't have a father and you didn't like not having a father. Tell the truth for a change. Huh? So determine your kids are going to have one. Huh? And he's going to live with them and take care of them and you and be happy doing it. If you ain't happy, go pray. I'm serious. We put up with too much nonsense from people. You know, this is, is a, a lot of it is, is society imposed weakness. Not tolerated, imposed. Society imposes weakness on people. But somehow it gets glamorous, you know, to, I'm having this baby on my own. No, you ain't, because somebody's paying for you to have that baby. Somebody's paying for you to go to the doctor. Somebody's paying for you for time off. Somebody's paying daycare to take care of that. No, you ain't having nothing by yourself. That's all ours, baby, you having. We paying for it. <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> I don't like the setup. <clears throat> it was much easier when a man and a woman got married and had a family government didn't have to get involved in nothing. And have to tell you one thing or another. You just did your thing. And if you had problems, you might have to go to court. But most of the time, you went to church. And the pastor got you back together. Huh? You talk to people about reconciliation. Now they throw you upside a wall. Well, you don't know him. Nah, but I know what I'm sitting across from right. Huh? <laughs> Saved and all. Let me get back to the. Let me get. <laughs> let me get back. So the seats. Seat is the government that runs a city. We even call it that, don't we? County seat. Huh? So it's a seat of government in a city. That's that's part of the gates. Part of the activity of the gates. The seat of a government, a city. And when I say government, I mean spiritual government. I'm not talking about whether you have a mayor or you have somebody, uh, that, a city manager or <clears throat> whatever kind of government you have. This is a spiritual entity that governs that city. So it's a seat of government in a city. All governments of, of Satan are illegal. You got me? They're all illegal. That's why we're, we're given permission to carry out written judgments against them at any time. That's why you can pray against anything that your city tolerates at any time. Huh? You don't have to ask nobody's permission. You don't have to 
go and question a bunch of intercessors. Well, do you think it's okay if I pray? Because I don't know, but why are you asking me? What is the devil doing while we sitting here having this discussion? The, the, and the government of that city protects the purposes of that city. It protects the purpose. Now, what's the purpose of hell? To steal, kill, and destroy. Is the, the, the person that, that it's prepared for is the father of lies. And his purpose is always to steal, kill, and destroy. The entryway to a city is a stronghold. We talked about the strong wall that's built around the city. So <clears throat> there is a, I would say this, when we talk about entryway of hell, there's always a lure that hell gives to a person to get them involved and get them trapped. So the tools of hell... Part of the gates of hell has to do with the devices and tools that hell would use to entrap someone. See, hell used to own us, but we got free. And as the bride of Christ, we have a new identity that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. So in order for us to deny that identity and to allow hell to capture us again, there would have to be something to come in between. And that's the devices or the plans and the plots of hell. And that has to do with deception. That has to do with setting snares for us. It has to do oftentimes with our history that hell wrote for us before we were captured by the, by the Son of God. You see, At a time when hell had a weak grip on us, God came in and offered us eternal life, offered us authority and power while we're here on earth. See, this is the thing. The devil likes to get you, thank God I'm saved. I'm waiting on the sweet by and by. He likes that kind of nonsense because it's never here. It's never powerful. We're always waiting on something. We're sitting here idle waiting for whatever comes by. So the last thing the gates of hell want to inform you of or let you get informed of is the keys that he's given you. The power that he's given you. Huh? He'll let you know about anything. Oh, you talk like that. What kind of Christian are you? Well, you can't talk like that. You can talk like that to the, I don't care if it is the devil. Christians are supposed to be nice. Who told you that lie? Huh? There's no fruit of the Spirit called nice. There isn't. Huh? And devil, you say it again, I'll eat your face off. The Bible says we're supposed to be gentle and kindly affectioned to one another, not the devil. Deception. Twisting. Perversion. That's what the enemy does. That word pervert means to twist something up. So you've got the main pieces of it. It's just in a, a, a form that cannot be used. Just mostly for decorative purposes. Huh? <laughs> and not for any real use. Huh? 
Now, once you twist something, you can't use it for anything anymore. Hello? Even if it's supposed to be twisted. You know, you get them little twist ties and you close your bag. You can only use them them things once. You got me? They ain't no good no more. So once you get something twisted, it's lost the effectiveness of its original purpose. People say things like, God helps those who help themselves. Well, where is that in the Bible? Uh, Love the sinner, hate the sin. Where is that in the Bible? I love everybody. I love sinners and saints. Mostly saints. I witness to sinners. I may work with them and work around them. And I love everybody. I'm not just singling them out. You got me? But if the enemy can twist something and pervert it and get it stuck inside of us so that it doesn't work right, that's step number one to getting us back over inside of the gates. Get back into the stronghold of the city where he used to keep us or keep us in prison so that we can't use anything related to our new identity. Keep us immobilized in that. So his his strongholds, a stronghold is something that seeks to keep the city from being besieged. If he would ever let the child of God know his or her true identity, his stuff is very, very weak. In fact, it's over. Hmm? But if he can keep us in the dark as to who we really are, then he gets an advantage over us. He uses very strong gates against the believer and subtlety. That devil might work for 15 or 20 years on somebody before he can finally get them over into his camp. It's a series of activities, actions, deceptions, traps, playing into weakness, setups, huh? Over and over and over again to see if he can retrain you into following his steps. Huh? He can retrain you into following his, and then he just builds a wall around you. Eventually gets you in there. Step number one is for you to forget who you are. Huh? You forget you're a child of God. You forget you're, you're betrothed to the Lord. That you're, you're, for all practical purposes, married. You got me? Everything is, is there for you. He's given you access to the throne room, access to the kingdom, access and authority to, to speak against the gates, to, to, to deny the activity of the gates entrance and influence over your life. He's given you everything. But if a, a, a poor understanding of who you are, prevails in you you'll never use them you have keys sitting there and how many of us have keys we know they're valuable because you don't throw them away know that key that's on that ring that sits up on that thing that you don't want to throw away you feel it must go to something but you don't know what it goes to well that's where a lot of christians are i got keys well i I know they go to something but i you, you got me don't, not skilled in using them. 
I say this. Just take the stupid key and go around every lock in the house and find out what it belongs to. Huh? See, when you start out taking authority over the devil, it's kind of like that. Huh? You hit everything you see and you finally feel like you really got something because it backs up and stops messing with you. And you say, oh, that's the key. That's what that works. That's what that does. Huh? I'll be honest with you. It's like that. You know, when you move by unction, it's more of an internal feel thing. You know, you, you go forward and you know something out there is not right. You know what the word says. So we're going to use the word against that thing that's not right. Why do you use the word? Because I'm the bride of Christ. And that's my, that's, that's my business to stop it. It's my business to stop it. Well, I got half the people. The rest of you just be scared. I don't care what you do. <clears throat> Bensonita Hosa was the uh, archbishop of Nigeria. They had a huge um, spirit field. He went to Oral Roberts University. He had uh, for many years prayed to, you know, learn healing and learned everything about the word. And uh, he was a, a man of very strong prayer. And he got to ORU <clears throat> and was taught there. And he you know, in his 40s and 50s, got some, you know, credibility with the the other religious leaders in the country and, and so forth and so on. He was a very, very powerful and prominent man there, and they gave him the title Archbishop of these churches in Nigeria. And there was a uh, group of witches that wanted to have a conference there in the Lagos, in the capital city. And so he decided that... <clears throat> The guy who was in charge of the witches decided that he wanted to challenge the archbishop that he could have the meeting there. And so uh, the people, church people and press people, I mean government people, all kind of people were looking to him to have an answer. And he says, well, we hear there's going to be a witches convention here. And he says, "Uh, what do you say about it, archbishop? And he says, well... I will talk to God about it. So this guy comes back and (laughs) says, I don't care who you talk to, we're going to have it, and so forth and so on. So the guy challenged him to a debate, and while they were sitting there getting ready to debate about the subject, the power of God fell on uh, Itahosa, and he told the gentleman, he said, the Spirit of God has spoken to me. He tells me this, if you dare to have a witch's convention here, you will die. And the man looked at him and the color ran out of his face. And he didn't have anything else to say. And he said, well, I've spoken and got up and left and left the guy sitting there looking crazy. And so the the moderator had asked Itahosa, he said, um, well, this gentleman had said, uh, he, he actually told us, he said, that if God himself were to come down here, he would have this convention anyway. And Idahosa said, why would God come down here for a witch when he's got me here? That's knowing who you are, folks. It's knowing who you are. Why would God busy himself with something like this when he's got the church here? 
uh, the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. That man packed his stuff, got on a plane, left Nigeria. Huh? They later found also that they had been given a, a permit to have that thing in error because there was a law that stood for many years on the books there that says no witches conventions were allowed in that country. No gatherings of witches. And so all we are doing really is executing written judgments. These judgments are verified everywhere. So uh, what, the, what the enemy wants to do, though, is through an entryway, create a stronghold in your life. Mm-hmm. Just a little pathway he's always gotten in and out on. And so he wants to turn it into a stronghold if he can. So if we allow him free access through weakness, through fear, through intimidation, through any kind of way, then he can... Get his purposes established in us, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. Gates protect the security and integrity of a city. So the activities that the devil perpetrates against us protect the integrity of his stronghold against us. Proclamations were made at the gate, we said. Now, these are official announcements, and that's what we do. We proclaim and we declare the word of the Lord into these situations. We proclaim them into the situations. We had an incident not far from Cleveland of a kid shooting some children, you know, in a school, which we pray against that. So now we have to go back and understand what kind of uh, activity allows that, you see. You, you have to shore it back up again. You can't just say, well, it happened and some stuff happens. No, you, you're responsible for it. So you have to find some way to either amend what you pray, augment it, get it stronger, you know do double time on it or something because the enemy is advancing and this is what you do so once you start to exercise written judgments you have to continue this can't be like a part-time gig or you know i did that when i lived in that city and then i moved away you either were called to do it or you weren't a call is something it's like your name when god calls you if you claim to be a watchman at any time when he calls that name, he still wants you to speak up and answer to that. You can't just say, well, I don't do that no more because I moved. Number one, did God tell you to move? Well, I won't go there. I see that's too strong for some people. Do y'all think y'all just free to rip and run around? And You know, you're on assignment. I don't care if you're called as a watchman or what you're called to. If you belong to God, you don't just get up and pack up and go somewhere. Somebody tells you, well, they got better jobs over here. They got better. That doesn't have anything to do with what God wants you to do. you got to listen for his voice. Or you will be in disobedience. Now, just to be honest with you, I don't believe in chasing blessings. I think you can call them to you. You should be able to. You call everything else you want. Huh? They're supposed to look for you, chase you down, and overtake you. 
So the entryway of a city. This is where the enemy gets your attention. Gates can be pretty attractive sometimes. So the enemy gets your attention. He gets what we call an open door in the Christian vernacular. So that door is open because you're interested in what the enemy says. Something about it interests you and not in a spiritual way. It's a carnal way. So the part of the gates of hell is these plots and plans to get you get your attention. <clears throat> it's all in what you consider. Huh? It's all in what you consider. The Bible says Abraham considered not a lot of stuff that was wrong with him, but only considered God's word and he prevailed and the word manifested in his life. Huh? He had a son. And so it's what you consider. What you consider. Gates protect the security and integrity of the city. We said what what needs to be in stays in. What's supposed to be out stays out. Now we, I'm sorry, we moved down to proclamations already. Many times prophets were told by God to cry in the gates of a city. Uh, just holler. Who were they hollering to? Whoever would hear. Whoever would hear. And hopefully obey. Now guess who's got to obey us all the time? Ah yeah. Absolutely. So we should have no problem making declarations, proclamations, crying, telling him what to do. We should have no problem because he's always got to obey us. People don't have to obey us. We do not have dominion over people. But we have dominion over the devil and all of his works. You need to understand that hell makes proclamations toward us as well. Hell makes proclamations that will disable us. God makes proclamations that empower us. So the choice is what to say is real simple. Are you empowered by what you say? Or are you weakened by what you say? See, the devil mess with your identity. Who told you you could do that? Who said that you could do Who Who told you? You know, well, before I moved to Detroit, I went through this mental thing about, you know, I was around uh, in a women's ministry and there weren't many ministers in there. So when you're called as a minister, first of all, they... Somebody smells around here. You know, you get that attitude. Everybody's just, you know... Really? Did you ask your pastor if you could preach? Who's your covering? Oh, you can't. You mean to tell me you're going to try and do that on your own? What's your husband do? Oh, oh, well. You see, just enough to put doubt, slow you down, see if he can hinder you, get you to sit in a corner. And feel embarrassed about who you are. See. That's what the devil does. And so you'll have to fight all of that. You have to fight the devices of hell. Huh? You have to fight them. You have to understand who you are. And once that's inside of you. That identity will emerge. And if you continue to walk in it. Without stopping. 
without stopping. See, if you stop and consider, well, maybe I should. Maybe I should get my pastor's permission. Well, he didn't know anything about this type of a ministry. So what was he going to permit? Huh? Or not permit? In fact, all he all he did was he says, why don't you let me ordain you? I said, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, so I said, okay. So, you know, you receive your recognition by man. It comes in handy. And so there was no, you can't do it. I don't want you to do it. Even when they locked us out of that church, they didn't. Nobody told us not to do it, huh? At least the pastor was that smart, huh? But you know, my sisters that knew me when I was first starting, you know, and helped me, didn't like it when I grew. Got me? Some people just like you small and insignificant. And then they feel powerful, you see. But when you start to grow, you just got to grow and just keep growing. And just move out to where you can grow and never stop growing. You got me? Never stop growing. And so you'll have to fight these things. These are false prophecies against you. These are proclamations that are made against you. You're not that. You can't do that. You don't have the money for that. You don't have the property for that. You don't have it. Whatever it is, it's always disabling you. Any voice that disables you is from hell. If God says anything, he'll say it's not time yet. Wait. But he'll never take it away from you. Huh? Waiting is not disabling. That's really strengthening you because you don't have enough to get out there and stay yet. But if you stay with God, you'll get out there. Huh? You'll definitely get out there. So when proclamations are made, hell wants to disable you, wants to take the power and authority away from you. You'll start praying against something and it don't move for a long time. And the devil will tell you your prayers aren't working. Huh? What do you think you're doing? What do you mean you're praying against gambling here? We got casinos all over the place. But we're still making proclamation against them. Israel was backslidden when all those prophets got up and preached and they still prophesied against backslidden Israel. Huh? And so when you get up and declare it doesn't matter what the condition of things is and what the devil says is going to change and not going to change or anything like that. You, know, you just have to keep declaring. Well, we, when I first moved to Detroit, it was in 93 or 94. This nut, Jack Kravorkin, was killing people and leaving them in vans outside of emergency room parking lots. and He's a crazy man. And it would shock you, the newscasters that said he was a brilliant man ahead of his time and one day this is going to be the law of the land. And God said, no it isn't. He said, don't you sit back and let them legalize murder anywhere. You stand against it. So we did. Took a good seven years. I prayed all kind of ways. I got tired of praying the way we were praying. I prayed and asked God to kill him. Then I thought, well, maybe we could save him first, God, to kill him last. But I'm glad, glad God did it because God knows the length of everybody's days. 
And that rascal lived to another, what, 10, 12, 15 years, went to jail for murder, got out on a, a sickness release or some old nonsense, and he's running around. But little by little, his voice got diminished to the place where it was not, not even a whisper anymore. See, it's about the voice. These are the gates of hell, the voices that speak and say these things are real. Suppose God had killed him at the height of his popularity. Then 15 more voices pop up everywhere else because a seed is. God knows what he's doing. He's all wise. And we can't tell him. He does things after the counsel of his own will. Now people are embarrassed and ashamed. They ever had, had anything good to say about that. You see, it brought all kinds and it brought strength to a lot of people that didn't know they were strong. Disabled people started to march out here in front of the courtroom in Oakland County where he was. uh, Which is a whole nother story about witchcraft. But anyway, you know, you saw disabled people who one time felt they were throwaways and nobody cared. You saw them rise up in power and get a voice now. No, you're not going to kill us. I'm here for a purpose. You know, you saw you saw the the bag, the kid that bags at Meyer is out there because he's a little disabled, but they're they're able to give him a job. See, we thought he was a wasted person years ago, but now he can work. Kids that that came through the Special Olympics started to write letters and get petitions. And how dare you let somebody just murder somebody and call it assisted suicide because they're disabled. Quality of life is decided by the living, not somebody else who says they're helping to kill them. And so God wants, when God has a plan for something, we have to allow God's plan. But we still have to use the authority and the power that we have as believers to stop these devices of hell, these voices, proclamations. Where does it weaken us? Huh? Oh, you can't, you can't get up and prophesy. Look at what you just did. Well, watch, watch a little longer, devil, because I'm going to show you. I'm going to do something else. In fact, I ain't never doing this no more for you. I see you like it too much. Self-pity is a device from the gates of hell. It's a stronghold in most people. You attempt something, it doesn't, you attempt it three or four times, it doesn't work for you and you quit. Huh? I would say this, if you're opposing the devil three or four times, you're just getting started. About three or four years. (laughs) Three or four decades. Huh? You keep hitting it. Huh? You keep hitting it. You're, what you're doing is founded on the rock. huh? This is a solid thing. You're working against something that's temporary and weak. It just has a loud voice and seems to know something about you. Huh? That's true. How many friends do you have that you don't have anymore? They talk loud, they got a loud voice, and they seem to know something about you. Huh? You used to do drugs together. Used to cut school together. Used to steal stuff from work together. Used to do all these things together. Just because they know something about you, that doesn't give them any power. Huh? You can resist these things. Because this is part of the devices of hell. These are the gates of hell, folks. And the Bible has guaranteed they will not prevail against you. 
But you got to know who you are. You got to know. You got to know every day. You know what? The best way to know who you are every day is to get up and act it out. That's how you know who you are. You get up and act like a child of God. You get up and act strong. You get up and look in the mirror and start declaring your day. I'm prosperous today. I will have favor today. I'm blessed today. I'm healthy today. I have a sound mind today. Today is going to go well because God's favor is on me. And his, uh, my steps are ordered by him. And he delights in the way that I go. I'm going to have a delightful day. Because God is with me. Huh? I am the bride of Christ. I belong to him and he belongs to me and I don't belong to anybody else. Everybody else get way back in line. Huh? Because I belong to him. Huh? Okay, if you are married, your husband or wife has to get way back in line because Jesus is first place in your life. Once you know who you are, huh? Don't let somebody you marry get to be a problem for you. Huh? Don't want you to go forward. I'm not sure about this and I'm not sure about You better get sure because I am. And as soon as God opens that door, I'm moving out. Huh? Are you watching my smoke or you come right along and be quiet? Huh? But we moving on. You stay in here. Once the master says go, we going. Staying in this place no longer. And once he says it's time to move, it's time to move. That's love. That's dedication. That's that's adoration. You put him before anybody else, anything else. You don't want anybody, but you don't have to have anybody's approval but God's. Huh? Bible says if your ways please him, he call everything to shape up. <laughs> you know, everything will shape up around you. Not just family members. Family members are easy. Because they halfway scared of you anyway because they see how devoted you are to God. And you start talking faith and saying that, you know, you're sitting up there with your nose stuffed up and you tell them you ain't sick. And they want to go fix you some soup or something. No, I'm not sick. Give me a hamburger. I don't eat soup when I'm well. Give me something else. See what I'm saying? They get halfway scared of you anyway. You might as well make them all the way scared. You don't owe people any kind of explanation. You owe them love. Love does not have to explain every little thing when it's questioned by intimidating devils. So you don't have to subject yourself to their devils and their nonsense. Just make sure they get get behind you. You got to you get out that way. Get back in that line where you're supposed to be. Come on, Jesus. Let's get to getting. Come on, Jesus. Let's get to going. Huh? Keep everything in order, folks. Just don't let it get out of. Don't love anything <clears throat> so much that you disobey God to please it. Huh? You don't don't do that. You don't do that. Disobey God. Yeah. You can't. You mean you can't do nothing else on? No, I can't do nothing else on Saturday. And quit asking me about it told you for the last time. Now, I've been kind to you in the past, but you're going to have to stop this because it's wearing on my nerves. Amen. He roars like a lion. 
that's a good time for a roar is when the devil's trying to get under your skin. They won't take no for an answer and they keep trying to work work a little door open. They didn't got the rust off the hinges and tapping that out and everything else trying to unlock your door. Uh, trying to get inside. Don't let them work you. The other thing that you have to fight part of the gates of hell. What Now, what are you doing back there for a CD, my friends? Oh, okay. Now, this is the thing. It's something that's called concourse, and that's discussion. A lot of these conversations you have in your head, they didn't just start there. Do you pick them up as part of this thing? There's discussions going on already in the gates of hell. And see, you what happened is that you started considering a part of a discussion that's going on someplace else. I'll give you a good example. I hear women say things like this. <clears throat> well, this is after divorce number two. They're not smart enough. See, they don't have a right identity as a wife. Because uh, they keep picking up this conversation for single women. Huh? So they have no identity as a wife, so when they get married, they still tapped into that. Huh? They, they get divorced number two, maybe they got a fairly decent job by now, they work some alimony, I don't know what they do, but you know they land on their feet somehow, get a little money, take care of themselves finally. Well, <clears throat> you know, I'm just, I'm on my own, and I've just never been on my own before because... I went from being my father's daughter. I was in my dad's house, and then I was in my husband's house. And I'm thinking, well, Howard, did you ever own anything yourself? Was you ever legally married to anybody? <laughs> now I'm real sorry, but that's the way hoes think. And I was in my daddy's house, and I slept around. And, you know, I I never owned nothing there. I never felt a part of nothing. And then I got married to, and then I did. I was in my husband's house, and I wasn't a part. Well, didn't you ever get, didn't you ever, didn't you ever identify that you belong somewhere? And you're still hoeing. That's the third time I said it in church. And then we're supposed to feel sorry for you because you never were on your own. I'm glad you weren't. Huh? Because the devil would have a new rival if you was ever on your own, sweetie. My goodness, look at all the the damage control we got to do now in your life. That's why a man who finds a wife, now she don't find you. Cut it out. You find her because you go looking for a wife. The Bible says when you find a wife, you find a good thing. You know, there's some people out there have been married three and four times and don't have a wife yet. I'm going to talk about it some more because I don't care. Rudy Giuliani is a brilliant man. I went to hear him speak once, and for somebody who 
I mean, he has, he's smart as far as understanding people, how to motivate, how to lead, how to set priorities as a, as a, as a leader and as a, a governor and, and all of those things, a mayor and all that, how to, you know, search, get the right people around him to search out current laws to try and make major changes. All the changes that are in Manhattan now where people, rich people can go now and live without being scared to go into the front of their apartment. It happened during his administration. Brilliant man. But he has a problem of marrying his sin. You got me? And this is why when he comes up as president, they kill him. Every He gets maybe like 10% of the vote or something like that, or popularity starts out here and goes down to Newt Gingrich. Same thing. You marry your sin. You got me? You don't marry your sin, you repent of it, you get cleansed, and you walk out and you find a wife. They might do that in France, but in this country, people don't like hoes in the White House. They don't take care of no hoes in this country. I'm just real sorry. We got enough of them on welfare. We got enough of them teenage, uh, you know, out of web, all that. That's, we got enough hoes we taking care of. We ain't putting them in the White House, so that's out. And they both know what their problem is, but they scared to divorce them. And every time they're seen in public, she pops up, kills it. Everything you see there, they start going up in the ratings, and even the Democrats won't put anybody like that in the White House. Remember John Edwards? Now, after they said no to him, we find out all the stuff he was involved in back in the day. It just, we just, there's too much prayer going up for righteous people in our government for this kind of stuff to prevail. They get so far, but they will not go any farther than that, huh? Bill Clinton was one that slipped up on us, but we ain't making that mistake no more. Huh? <laughs> You divorce your sin, huh? And you find a wife, huh? Find a wife. If you love somebody that's not a wife, you better ask God to make her a wife before you marry her. You got me? Because once once whoredom is accepted as a way of life, it never changes. Yeah, make you got to make demands on people to come up to your standard. If you really know who you are then you will demand somebody of equal quality. You won't settle for nonsense. How dare you? And you get a ball and chain, I mean a real ball and chain around your ankle, will hold you back forever. Huh? Every time you would make some progress, you're being dragged back by the chain. Huh? Because I'm telling you right now, ball and chain don't want you to go nowhere. They like keeping you right there so they can control you, manipulate you, Get you to lose your call, miss your call. You don't get to do anything God told you to do. All you can do is sit back and look at what you settled for, what you could have had. That's the way it works. Talk about a device of hell, a gate of hell. That's a good one. huh? It gets you feeling bad enough and feel sorry for some skank you don't even want. If you wanted her, you'd have married her a long time ago. You see what I'm saying? So somebody you don't even want... But you don't want to let go. Huh? And so what the gates of hell will do will keep hammering. You can't do that. You don't want to hurt her feelings. She don't got none. She wants to take you to hell. Huh? 
People who have feelings don't want to take nobody to hell. Huh? These men, you know, they said, baby, baby. Baby, that's all a woman wants to hear. You know, we halfway bow when we hear that anyway. You know, there's this guy, you kind of like, he called me baby. <laughs> the B word. <laughs> he touched me. I breathe the same air that he did. Oh, this has got to be an answer to prayer. Oh, he likes me. He talked to me. He touched me. He's going to knock you up too. You keep it up. Huh? Because some of these men like nothing but drama. They go and brag to their friends about how many babies they got. That is my baby mama. You don't even have a name no more. You went generic. Huh? (laughs) You used to be Susie. Then you got to be baby. Now you're just generic. You baby mama. Yeah. Nonsense. You know, you got to know who you are all the time. You are married to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are married to him. And if hell can get you twisted enough to think that you value some momentary thrill with somebody, huh? Over a lifetime commitment to them and the Lord, the Lord first, don't you know the devil will work overtime on you to make you think you can't live without somebody? Huh? They make, make them go for days without calling you, and then you about to have a fit. I don't know what's wrong with me. I, don't know, what's, I know what's wrong with you. You need to have something cast out of you. Huh? Quit using your authority for the right thing. Now you use your authority against the saints when they try to tell you to quit it. Huh? Get out of my face. Who do you think you are talking to me? You ain't living right either. I know one thing. Your butt is going down. If you don't stop, you're going to be in the crapper. You got me? Huh? All that living right, me living right, that don't matter because I see where you're on your way to. Huh? A blind man could see that. And so we have to be careful. These little doors. Huh? Get you into a stronghold. That little open door will get you into a stronghold. A lifetime of misery. A lifetime, it, it'll put a limit on how far you can go in life. Trust me. I see it. You see it in the political world. But you can see it in your own world. You'll have a limit to how far you can go in life based on relationships that you have. So these whisperings that go on whisper to you about how you relate to people. How you relate to men and women. How they relate to you. All of these things. How you relate to authority. Many times people don't like authority. They don't want to be accountable to anybody. They want to pretend that they hear from God all by themselves. And see if these conversations that you get involved, oh, you don't want it. That's a controlling, that's a Jezebel spirit. Well, you didn't know nothing about that till you read this prayer manual. Now you're going to accuse me of having one and you reading the manual. You got me? Huh? You got that from me. 
there go try to school me on my own stuff, you know. Yeah, she did like to control people. Listen, when I get home, I like to take my shoes off, put my feet up for as long as I can and not move. I am not trying to get control over If I did, I have a whole different regimen when I get home. I'd be on the phone bugging you. I'd be planting something in you, but I could care less until I see you again, you know, unless you need something. You got me? I'm available. But my quest is not to control people, you know, for the sake of controlling. Huh? I might have tried that out my husband. Well, we won't go there one time. What time is it? I mean, mean, my hands got spanked. Huh? I was just taking what was mine in advance, just in case. But you know what I mean. The devil can get under your skin. He likes to. Get underneath. Get through the door. A little crack in the door. And he can get underneath in there and have concourse with you. A little discussion with you. Tell you how you can't do something. You won't be successful at something. Uh, anybody tells you that they're, they're, they have the power to make you successful or not. You got me? That kind of person doesn't exist in life. And you get a vision from God, you get a plan from God, and he will bring you the right person to help you execute that plan. He'll bring it all to you. You don't have to have somebody sitting on your shoulder telling you God sent them to you. Huh? You know if God sends somebody or not. They act godly when they get there. I'm going to stop. I might have to go down that street again. Huh? <laughs> but we got to learn that when we belong to the Lord, we cut certain things off. Huh? That old discussion, you cut it off. You don't go down that. You don't talk about that. You don't engage in that. Because that's part of the gates of hell, folks. The devices of hell. These little conversations that go on and on you know well well you know or this this lie the devil tells i'm gonna quit with this that's the right person for you to marry but it's the wrong time why would god bring you something you're praying for until you can't have it now now think about it Why would he reveal something to you that you've been praying for until you can't have it yet? Hmm? Hmm? Just a thought. Just something to pray about. Keep in mind. Because if, if you are looking to marry someone, God is preparing you to be a partner. He's preparing you, and you don't have time. And then God will reveal that person to you when you are ready, not before you're ready. And you got to keep telling them, no, it's not time. No, we can't get married. No, we shouldn't do this. No, 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 no. It's the wrong person. You're just too weak to cut them off and get rid of them. Huh? Because they see something in you that they have grabbed onto. And they refuse to let go. So you got to understand which one of y'all is working for the devil. Huh? 
You both can be working for the devil. You need to get under God and God alone. And let him help you to prepare yourself. Huh? It's not always about having a nice car and or a nice job or, you know, money and all that kind of stuff. But it's what God's plan is for you. It's an inner preparation. It's not an outer. Carlton Pearson was, was single until he was, remember Carlton? Everybody praying for Carlton and Carmen. Remember, they were both in the same play, church. Carlton was a pastor and Carmen was, you know, minister in his church. They're both the same age and everybody's wondering when they're going to get married. Or wondering from the time they were 21, Carlton finally got married at age 40. And in two years, he looked just like everybody else. Well, he had a successful church. He's a mature Christian. He had all the checks made, and he'd had that for years. But God didn't reveal his wife to him until he was 40. So it depends on when God has planned for you to marry someone and when that, that relationship is necessary in your life. Many times we try to get relationships fitted into a life ahead of time and they almost destroy us. Trying to hold it together without God's help because he didn't ordain that thing for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's heavy if Jesus isn't hooked up and, and, you know, yoked with you in it. It's very heavy. And so we have to be careful, folks, that we don't knowingly... Knowingly step into a marriage ahead of God thinking, well, it's the right person but the wrong time. How stupid can you be? How stupid can you be? How stupid? When there's somebody, when you grow up and you stop looking at things in the flesh all the time. And you get settled in in your spirit and the eyes of your spirit pop open. And there's somebody that preaches... You know, men are funny. Sometimes they'll have a great admiration for women preachers, but deny their call to marry one. Oftentimes what you, what you find interesting, what you find uh, uh, captivates your attention, that's part of the draw of God trying to guard, draw you to what? Now I'm not saying nobody in here going to marry me. Cut it out. <laughs> but all I'm saying is that anointing draws you. Those words draw you. You feel a comfort and a kinship there. Sometimes that's God telling you your wife will be a preacher. You got me? Now, trust me, nobody wants to be married to one. I don't want to marry a preacher. You got me? Hard stuff. But if it's God, it's God, and it's undeniable. But sometimes you have to look at what it is that you're drawn to by your spirit. Not by what you're drawn to in your flesh. You got me? Because your spirit is going to, once you mature out of your flesh, your spirit is going to begin to dominate your life and your spirit is going to crave certain things to come into your life. And that person that you got together with in the flesh is going to be the greatest hindrance to you now. But you're married. Huh? Huh? It's just the truth. That's why the Bible warns us not to be unequally yoked. Believers with unbelievers. Believers in what? Maybe they don't believe in you is the unbelief you need to. You understand what I'm saying? Do they believe in you? 
Do they believe in supporting you and what you're called to do? Are they willing to make the sacrifice that you need to have made so that you can go ahead and do what God wants to do without fighting with somebody every step of the way? Got to fight to go to church. You got to fight to, you know, pray. You got to fight to do this. I mean, come on now. You don't want that. You don't want that. And so you have to be very serious. You got to know so well who you are that you're respectful of God's plan for you. And you don't get yourself involved in something, jump off into something that's permanent for your temporary backslidden mental condition, immature condition right now. Because see, at some point God's going to meet you on the Damascus Road and going to make you an offer you can't refuse. He's done it with all of us. Lester Summerall made fun of preachers. The mother would have preachers come and stay. Him and his daddy made fun of all of them. Wouldn't go to church, sat in the back of the church, made faces, picked at the mother, you know, kept her crying all the time. And then one day God met him and made him an offer he couldn't refuse. He was dying one night and God told him, the coffin or the Bible? And I'll give you overnight to think about it. It didn't take him too long. He grabbed that Bible. And by the morning, his stuff was packed and he went out and started preaching. Same thing will happen to anybody. Huh? You may think you don't have to obey God. But one day you'll realize you do. Huh? You'll realize you do. Because he owns you. You're bought with a price. You cannot unbuy yourself. Huh? You can't do it. You don't have enough anything to pay. You couldn't pay to get yourself out of trouble. You're not going to be able to pay to get yourself back in. And you can go play in the mud if you want to. But I'm telling you, God has a day, a time, and an hour where he's going to meet everybody who's trying to resist him. He's going to meet you. Huh? And he'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Some people take the short road out. Sam Kennison was a Pentecostal preacher. He had a congregation. When he died, they had two funerals for him. One for the saints over in Tulsa and one in Las Vegas where his worldly crowd was. Huh? His tormented most of his life that he left God. was tormented. Took a lot of drugs. But one night he was driving. He had just gotten married. Hmm? On the way to the honeymoon, which, come on now, that's just a word for people like that. You got me? That's the time after the wedding, you know, after it's legal. But the car that he was in flipped over, and his brother was driving behind him. He and his bride were in the front car, and his brother was driving behind him another car. The brother saw the accident. Nobody in the accident was hurt except him. The girl was slightly hurt. People in the other car weren't hurt. And he said when he finally got to Sam, he walked up to him and Sam was talking to somebody. Hmm? Lord, I don't want to go. Lord, please let me stay. Lord, I don't want to go. Lord, I don't want to go. He said he was bleeding his head. He was holding his head and walking around and talking. Okay, Lord, I'll go. And he collapsed and died. Got me? No. He wasn't given an option. The options had come a long time ago. Trust me. 
Repent or, repent or, repent or. He didn't do it. So the only thing left was him to go home to be with the Lord. At that time, his number got pulled. So folks, don't tell me that God can't get you to see the light. Get everybody to see the light. See it on this side of your decision rather than on the back side. Because on the back side, there's too much damage control to have to do. And you may have to live a restricted Christian existence for the rest of your life because you don't listen. See, people who observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. It's vain to think you can play around with God and he not call you on it. It's vain to think that because God hasn't killed you for your sin that he's going to let you keep doing it. Like it's not important to him for you to live holy. We see a lot of people running around. The will, they haven't been enlightened totally. And they look like idiots. I'm talking about preachers. huh? Still, you know, people are still coming up filing charges. Now it's gotten to be a game. Want to go get some money? Let's go get some money off this preacher. All we got to do is go file some charges against him. And he's still up preaching. Still telling people, you know, all, everything. It is a no. See, God is going to have to enlighten him and let him know his number's been pulled. If you're not going to live right, you're not going to live for me, take the robe off and go somewhere and sit down. Huh? Just take it off and go somewhere and sit down. Huh? I'll let you live. But if you keep this up, you may not have life. God would rather scatter the sheep and smite one shepherd than to let them all go over a cliff. You got me? Because he loves his sheep. He loves his people. He died for us. And he'll do anything to keep and preserve us. But I'm telling you, there are some very important decisions that we have to make that hell has, has triple, triple barred the door to try to keep us in to see if the devil can keep us from fulfilling and understanding who we really are in God and what we can really do. The people that get out are able to do tremendous things. Look at somebody like Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, Reinhard Bonnke, Benny Hinn. He's stumbling a little bit, but Benny will get back up on his feet. He ain't stupid, folks. You don't live that long serving God and be stupid. But the thing of it is, you've got to understand that hell is, is the fires of hell are licking at our heels at any given moment. At any given moment, the devil wants to turn us over and turn us in and fry us. Keep us from receiving what God has for us and being effective against him. He doesn't like keys. He hates the sound of keys. The bride using it to open up his little storehouse and steal everything he's stolen. Rightfully so. Take it all back. So the way you do that is you fight your own battles. You fight it on your personal level. You fight it in your church. You fight it in your city. You fight it on all levels. You are the authority. You are the bride of Christ. You have the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed. And you can get rid of a lot of stuff by knowing who you are and whose you are and whom you serve. Amen. Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to know you and know your word. To know the comfort and joy. 
of serving you, to know it's worth serving you no matter what we have to do, no matter what we have to say no to, no matter what we have to give up and who we have to give up. It's worth it because we belong to you. Got no business claiming anything you don't have for us anyway. So, Lord, we thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We magnify you, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that the gates of hell will not prevail against us because we belong to you. And we love you. And we honor you. And we bless you. And we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Why don't you put on some music, little Howard, and we'll see what uh, what God wants us to do with the rest of the meeting. Praise the Lord. We thank you, Lord. Yes, we praise you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for a time of ministry to us, to our hearts and our minds, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you've more than clearly shown us what the plot of the enemy is against us the gates of hell the devices of hell the snares the plots and the plans the doors that the enemy wants to open to ensnare us for good father we thank you lord that we know and we understand what you have revealed to us you've revealed to us your purpose Father, it's not about what we can't do, but what we can do. We can do all things through you. You give us strength. The plan of the enemy is to limit us. Put a ceiling on any, any height we want to attain to. Put the stops on anything that we want to do. And we don't want that, Lord. But there is a price to pay. There is a price of obedience to you price of worship and respect and reverence for you price of being your witness here in the earth father but it's a price we're willing to pay it's easy to pay because of the great reward we have peace with you we have everything that we need from you father because your great peace surrounds us you give us favor as a shield you give us authority over all the works of darkness You give us power and privilege in this life and eternal life forevermore. You give us the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You give us the wisdom of the saints. You give us the the promise of heaven and then some, Father. The new heaven and the new earth that you've created for your bride. Coming from heaven, the holy Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Coming down from heaven. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, you've given us so much, Lord, so much, that the small price that we pay is merely a token, a down payment of eternal obedience to you. (laughs) The obedience in this life is a mere token of the promise of eternal obedience to you, Father. And we are obedient to you throughout all ages, Father, for you are your bride. You look at us and you call us holy. You call us perfect in every way. We are your beloved, Lord. And we rest in that. That you love us with an everlasting love. Something that no human or mortal could ever do, Lord. And we thank you for it. We love you for it, Father. We bless you, Lord. 
And I thank you, Father, to put everything in our lives in its proper place. You are the head of the church, Jesus. Enthrone yourself on our hearts. You are the head of the church, and we give you permission to enthrone yourself on our hearts. You sit there. You tell us what to do. You give us the orders. You tell us where to go. You tell us when to do it. You tell us everything, Jesus. And we love you for it, Lord. We respect you and honor you for it, Lord. Father, we renounce the upside-down ways of the kingdom of darkness, the perverted and the twisted ways of darkness. Father, we renounce those. They pale in comparison to what you have for us, Lord. You make the crooked places straight. You lead us in a plain path for your righteousness sake. Because you're righteous, you put us on a road that leads straight to heaven. There's no detours, no forks in the road, no U-turns, no deception, no traps, no snares. Our feet are like hinds feet. We can ride upon the high places and we thank you for it, Lord. We bless you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we are a bride with a dowry. That we have keys to everything that's worth opening on this earth, under the earth, and the keys to the heavenly throne room as well. We thank you for honoring us as your bride. Marriage is honorable. And the bed of of salvation is undefiled. The bed of deliverance is undefiled. We thank you for it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For placing us in your heart. Right in the center of your heart. Father I thank you that even the very hairs of our head are numbered Lord. That our words and our our faces are engraved in the palms of your hand. As you look at your hands Jesus you see us. You love us so much. You can't take your eyes off of us Jesus. And we thank you for it. We bless you Jesus. We praise you Lord. Thank you Jesus. Lord, I thank to draw us ever closer to you. We can't be close enough, Lord. Anything that tries to squeeze in between, Father, we ask you to push it away. We thank you, Lord. We'll turn our eyes away from it, turn our ears away from the hearing of it, as we draw ever closer into you, Jesus. Ever closer, ever closer into you, Lord. The answer for everything is to draw nigh unto you. And you draw nigh unto us. And you envelop us in your love, Lord. You love us so much, Jesus. We can bask in it. We can swim in it. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That the power of the wicked one is broken over your bride. We belong to you. And not to ourselves. We don't belong to hell. We don't belong to the devil. But we belong to you. Spirit, soul, mind, and body. Intact. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Total peace. We're whole in you. Complete in you. We don't need anything or anybody. We don't want or lack for anything in you, Lord. We thank you for it. Thank you, Lord. We're 100% yours. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And the gates of hell that tell us we're not will not prevail against us. 
the concourse, the discussion that tells us we're not, will not prevail against us. It won't. It's dying day by day and it's important. It's in our lives. And we thank you for that victory, Jesus. We thank you for that victory. That we know who we are. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the shed blood. Thank you, Lord, for the washed robes. Thank you, Lord, for the new life, for eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that we are never married to our sin, but we're divorced from it. We repent of it, and we are washed clean. We don't have to get stuck with anything from the old life. We thank you for it, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Oh, we praise you, Jesus, that we're free. We're totally free, Lord. Totally free, Jesus. Totally free, Lord. Thank you for our freedom, Jesus. Thank you for our freedom, Lord. Oh, we bless you, Jesus. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We can go off and do righteous things now, Lord. We can preach, we can pray, we can declare, we can say. No devil hindering us, Lord, and we thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's just stand up and worship the Lord, and we'll be done. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. Purpose. The confidence and the strength to walk in that purpose, Father. Knowing who we are is everything. We thank you that we will not be confused. We will not be uh, set back in any way. But, Father, we'll come closer to you, being able to see exactly who we are. So we thank you for that, Father. We bless you. If anybody, we're done as far as ministry.